Hey everybody, it's Eric Torenberg, co-founder, partner of Village Global, a network-driven venture firm. And this is Venture Stories, a podcast covering topics relating to tech and business with world-leading experts. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Venture Stories by Village Global. Uh, here today with two very special guests, Mike Slaw, co-founder and CEO of Shift, and Raheem Fazal, aka Raheem the Dream, co-founder and CEO of uh, Silicon Valley Academy, SVA. Guys, welcome to the podcast. Nice to be here. Thanks for having us. Uh, guys, in about 30 seconds each, why don't you describe what it is that you do? All right. So uh, SV Academy started a couple of years ago. We are a free online training program that transitions job seekers into sales positions. Uh, starting here in the Bay Area, now I've expanded across the country as well. Key thing about our model is that it is all employer funded. And so there's no tuition. Uh, it's entirely free. If you are good enough to get into the program, uh, there is a 100% placement rate within 60 days into a 78K average starting full-time offer. Cool. Mike, how about Shift.org? Shift, we're a career change company for military vets. We facilitate DOD program that allows active duty service members to actually start working in corporate environments during their last few months in the military. We started with a pilot in Silicon Valley last year, brought military service members in from all over the country. And that's what's a little interesting about the program is that actually bringing active duty military personnel into companies, they leave base, travel from rural Fort Benning, Georgia on a Friday, show up ready to work uh, at Uber in downtown Soma <laughs> on that. a Monday. Cool. It's very, very high contrast uh, life change. So trying to figure out new pathways for vets to break into industries like media and technology companies. Yep. That's cool. Uh, Raheem, I first met you because you're world renowned for your freestyle rap skills, which right. you'll have to bless us uh, eventually. Yes, sir. Um, but also through our mutual friend, uh, Ben Casanoka. Ben was the, I think one of the first investors yeah. uh, in SV Academy and then uh, luckily brought me on to be a part, part <laughs> of the ride and talk a little bit about how you guys navigated the idea maze because you knew you wanted to do something in this space, but you thought about it maybe for six months, quite some time and navigated different ideas. What, why don't you talk about the evolution of? Yeah, I have a wonderful co-founder, Joel Scott, who I had met when I was selling my last company to Oracle. He uh, was at HP and he and I had talked uh, while HP didn't buy the company. We both talked about starting something in the space. We both felt passionate about sort of bringing social and economic impact into, you know, the next venture that we had. And, you know, we sort of looked at a whole bunch of different ideas that really took advantage of our skill sets. And no matter what we tried, one way or the other, and Ben knows a lot about this because he used to, you know, hear about it every single week, you know, nothing would, nothing would really work. And ultimately, I think what, what it came down to a walk down the beach in October of 2015 and sort of realizing that, you know, what we were really, really passionate about was helping people, especially non-coders, non-technical people, basically our junior selves break into the tech industry. And we figured that if we could create something like this that could scale to hundreds of thousands, millions of people, we could be so excited by it that we would want to do it for the rest of our lives. And, you know, having done the startup uh, thing a few times before, I think one of the big challenges is that 
startups are really, really hard. And, you know, every once in a while, you'll hit something that just is an absolute rocket ship. But for the most part, startups take a long time. And I think after having done it a few times, we realize that in order to have the staying power to do it for another decade or two, the idea would need to be so compelling and so, so, so important that it almost um, so it would feel like it was sort of outpouring from within us, right? Like like our true like life's expression. And we just feel so fortunate that that's what SV Academy has become. And how, how did you land on sales and this customer segment specifically? Well, Joel and I spent our whole careers working in enterprise SaaS, um, building scaling companies, recognized that, you know, we hired a lot of people who were non-coders, just like our junior selves, into entry-level sales positions. So there was a lot of demand for sales. And uh, went and talked to a bunch of our friends to see, you know, if they felt the same way. And we got sort of a dozen employers together who were all saying, if you had a pipeline of like rigorously vetted folks, we would hire them immediately. So we started there and then realized that actually what we're doing is much bigger than sales even. It's actually sort of this idea of really enabling people with human-centered skills which today is sort of packaged around sales. Uh, and I'm curious, you know, what Mike thinks about this as well, because it is such a strong, I think, connection with, with what um, you're doing. Tomorrow, it, it might not be called inside sales. It might be called something completely different. And we definitely know in a world with more automation, the value of these human-centered skills will become disproportionately valuable. And so what started with sales is actually expanded to something much, much bigger and we see the skills that we're developing in 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 the talent, uh, hopefully, you know, putting them on the career path to 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 real leadership. I'm curious, Mike, if you see the same thing. We do see the same thing in terms of the demand side, in that people look at military service and they see people who have worked with people from every other walk of life. I mean, I think about the military as one of the most diverse workforces on the planet because it's people from every city and state, every part of the socioeconomic spectrum. One of the challenges with talking to people who are leaving the military about sales specifically is some of the connotations behind it. You say, you want to do sales? They're like, I don't want to sell used cars. But when you say, do you want to be in a career that is very black and white if you're winning or not? And your job is to build teams, influence people. And I, I saw this quote the other day about sales being, you know, when you're when you're selling something that you truly love, that's when you feel like you're running downhill. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're on the street selling a mixtape, you should be doing sales. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so many people don't realize what sales is, but absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you know, f- for me, a big part is breaking down, you know, the elitism in the recruiting systems. And part of it is an awareness issue, like Mike's speaking about, you know, we don't do a great enough job of storytelling, you know, to, to populations on the outside who are trying to, to break their way in, you know, what the various paths are and where it can take you. I feel I was just very fortunate that it just happened to be this way where I lucked into the tech industry. And then once I'm in there, I realize, wow, this, this is incredible. Like this is life changing. This will take me out of you know, government housing and working service jobs and, uh, you know, not having an undergrad degree and all of the sort of non-traditional elements of of my my background, you know, into a place where I can now, you know, provide for my family and live in this expensive city and have these incredible friends and be on, you know, be on a podcast like this with you all. I mean, it was very, very much by 
by luck. And I think it's so important that we're doing what we're doing here so that, you know, everyone can understand the opportunities that, that await if they only, you know, took that first step. Yeah. And you guys have had how many cohorts now? 18. 18 cohorts. 18 cohorts. What have you learned um, or what has surprised you doing this, these 18 cohorts? Uh, so much. There's so much learning, which is one of the fun parts about building this business. I'll tell you one thing around selection that um, was really interesting. So we've, we've had well over 10,000 applications in the last year, and we expect, accept a small percentage of folks. Now, majority of the population that applies to SV Academy, they are uh, low to middle income graduates of four year large public nonprofit universities, career starters, um, and sort of blending into shifters, but, but folks for the most part who, who are underemployed a couple of years out, out of school. And as Mike was saying, many of them are unaware of these opportunities. Uh, and the greatest signal we've found is, if folks, once they understand what the role is all about, if they are willing to manage the cognitive dissonance around how difficult that first year can be, like it is not glamorous, right? Particularly for the positions that we're supporting. You're picking up the phone, you're cold calling, you're cold emailing, you're getting a lot of rejection, you're working in a competitive environment, a professional environment that you probably never worked in, at least for our population, if you are able to figure out how getting through that rough period for one year, uh, how important that can be in, in terms of the rest of your career, we've seen people break through walls. Yeah. But they have to believe that without experiencing it in order to get through the first part of our program and into that job. Yeah. And is the biggest problem you're solving – discovering people who wouldn't be discovered is it discovery is it education is it matchmaking i mean it's all it's all the above yeah. but how, how do you think about you know why, why do why do you need to do all of those things is it uh some companies just do one or two of those things yeah how do you think about being full stack in that way it's necessary because you know for example employers work with us in part because we provide them with a unique pipeline that they cannot access in other places like LinkedIn, for example, where everyone is sort of competing for the exact same person. This is a proprietary pipeline that they don't have access to. So that's the talent acquisition piece. And then there is the skill gap building piece, which, you know, is provided through this rigorous training program that we have developed. The two of those pieces need to come together in order to overcome, again, this elitism uh, where employers really need someone who has, who they can count on, you know, CYA and are willing to forego maybe having one year of experience and having gone to a top 20 school, right? Which has been... No one gets fired for hiring that person. Exactly. No one gets fired for hiring that person, right? So if you're going to offer something new that doesn't look like the persona that they're typically hiring, you have to provide that full package. Otherwise, it's going to fall apart somewhere. Yeah. Mike, do you guys uh, also do training plus matchmaker? How have you thought about where you sit within the, the value chain? Right now, we consider ourselves mostly a career change company, not for people who are starting their careers. Everybody who's leaving the military today has a minimum of three years of pretty valuable professional experience. And as a country, we've already invested, you know, tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars in training and skill acquisition. 
And the real challenge is just getting the space uh, to translate those skills across industries that look very different from each other. You get to a point where you just want to receive credit for what you've done in the past and have that carry forward to the future so your career can be accelerated. I think one of the biggest things that career changers struggle with is when you're going from one industry that looks very different from the next. Uh, you're going through a high contrast career change. Over a short period of time, your your skills don't necessarily change that much unless you do some sort of a, a skill acquisition or education program. Your personality stays relatively constant, but what can change and more often than not does change is your preferences and how you view the world. If you've just been living on an aircraft carrier for the last three years of your life and you've read all the blogs about startups and you follow all the, the Silicon Valley influencers and then you land in a startup and you say, whoa, like <laughs> yeah. this is not me. And, and, and that's totally okay. But getting uh, the space to do that, to, to really figure out where you fit into this different part of the workforce is one of these structural challenges that faces people who are changing their careers. Why is the translation so hard and what do you do to solve it? How do you solve it? There's a ton of efforts in place right now to look at military backgrounds, specifically military occupational codes, like what your your job was in the military and suggest other jobs that have that a similar basket of skills that that military career path uh, built over the course of time. One of the challenges with skilled translators that are static recommendation systems ultimately is that they don't take into account any sort of interesting jobs that you did over the course of your military career outside of your career path that are often really selective and allow you to set yourself apart. Maybe you went to go work uh, as the aide-de-camp to a to a four-star general. Maybe you did a, um, a liaison with your local, your local congressman. So there's all these jobs in the military that are super selective that nobody gets credit for. But there's also a thing that's really important in figuring out future career happiness, and that's your preferences. How do you value location, salary, industry, role, and how outsized are those preferences as they relate to each other? So we have to take into account these things, and we have to realize that these preferences can change quickly. So for us, it's not necessarily today about skill acquisition. It's about translating skills and preparing people for the physical act of career change. And that's that's something that I don't think necessarily gets enough credit. I think some of the codes boot camps and some of the other placement programs that are doing really well right now do a world-class job of doing, they invest deeply in the physical skill of getting a job. It's not something that you can sit and let a few PowerPoint presentations wash over you and be excellent at it. You have to develop this personal narrative. You have to test it. It's going to be some trial and error. Then you're going to figure out really who it, who it is you are and what resonates with people on the other side of the table. Raheem at, at SV Academy, how have you thought about creating a credential, both that people, uh, you know, aspire to be a part of, but then also that uh, resonates and is legible to prospective employers? They, oh, you went to SV Academy? Yeah, we'll hire you. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think it just starts with the best credential is is the employability, right? So we've or just, like a referral from someone who went through your program. Oh, yeah. And is like... 
this changed my life. Absolutely. People who are, who are in these types of networks, they're not necessarily going online to figure it out. They're they're asking their friend. That's right. It's one year ahead of them. That's right. Like there's like this unbundling of credentials, right. That we're seeing across a couple of different dimensions. One important part around the trust piece and trust is shifting, right. Is Mike saying like now we may trust less in some of the traditional brands and more in brands, for example, like our community and the friends that, that we aspire to be like, for example. You know, to Mike's point, there is a one of the things we have invested in the most and are most proud of is is the is the community and how just incredibly um not just how diverse it is, but also like how much they lean on each other in a in a way where many of them will say that their best friend is in SV Academy. Like they have met their best friend after entering SV Academy. So cool. That's amazing. And th- when they move here, they have, because, you know, folks are not all here in the Bay Area. They may be moving from different parts of the country um, into regions where we have employers. They come in and they are immediately plugged into this network, you know, and I think that's, that's, that's really special as part of this next, next yeah. evolution. And then, you know, going to sp- Speaking specifically around the employer side, so the first thing I think is, well, how fast are people getting hired coming out of our program? We kind of track days to hire. Right now, it's around 53 days, which we're really proud of, and it's getting better. Like every cohort, it gets a couple of days better, a couple of days better, a couple of days better. And then at the same time, we're looking at ways in which we can involve employers more in the process of of skilling and certification, which helps in a model where the employers are the ones who are the beneficiaries yeah. of, of, of the pipeline and are actually paying for the service ultimately. Right. And what's the most uh, non-obvious thing you guys do to build community? Like how are people meeting their best friends in, in your cohorts slash having such great experiences? What is something you guys do differently than, than one might expect? You know, in some ways I imagine it's, Similar to an experience, um, although not quite at the same level of intensity or time scale, uh, as, you know, being an active duty. Like, it is tough to get into SV Academy. We might accept one and a half percent or two percent tops of people in a particular cohort. And then to make it through every single week is rigorous. You know, you look around and one out of three people may not be there. By the end of it, just because it is so hard. So the ones who who are able to make it through, incredibly well socialized with one another, which is an amazing value proposition to the employers, because when they are looking then to hire, they're able to hire in batches of folks that already know each other, have worked with each other, and have formed those ties, which which ultimately you know speeds up ramp up, reduces attrition, etc. I think one big question we had was: Is it possible to build community? in this way online where these folks have not met each other physically until they are actually working for the employer on site. And we've proven to ourselves that it is possible. Um, you know, it takes, it, it takes um, a lot of intentional design program is rigorous. They have multiple touch points. Uh, they are kind of connecting with each other multiple times a day. They are involved. Now here's an interesting thing there. They have, this shared destiny and an involvement in one another's uh, destiny. For example, a lot of the learning scales by individuals in the cohort, so they're all grouped in cohorts, uh, by them 
participating actively in one another's learning, both in terms of, you know, working on assignments together, but also in terms of assessment. And that uh, creates a special dynamic that I think wouldn't exist if they were all, you know, in working independently in a, in a MOOC, in like a self-study MOOC, for example. How have you guys thought about business model over time? Are you guys doing it per hire? Are you charging SaaS, you know, pricing revenue? Are you doing income share agreements? How have you thought about business model and what are the trade-offs and the different options? I think with Shift in our military fellows program, it's a three-month on-the-job training program. So there are these interesting avenues to explore with respect to business model innovation and in that a an on-the-job training experience that is outcomes-based and people are getting great outcomes and they're great, getting great jobs that they love, that there's potentially over over time a move towards apprenticeship programs, on-the-job training programs, being a substitute for college, being a substitute for a professional degree. And so I don't we're not necessarily to the point yet in the United States where we're at in the UK right now where there's a, a legitimate employer levy where a certain percentage of your payroll has to go towards these types of on-the-job training and apprenticeship programs. But we all know that a lot of people are going to have to change jobs in the future. And we all know that people are not necessarily going to want to go back to college to do that. And so we do think that there will be an array of either social programs or digital transformation within government that expands access to workforce development programs. Specifically for veterans, if you're participating in a registered apprenticeship program or an on-the-job training program, you can use your GI Bill to get a monthly housing allowance and defray some of your out-of-pocket cost of living. For us, we work with active duty service members and facilitate this program that allows them to work full-time on-site at companies. So it's a great arrangement in that the service member still makes their full military pay and benefits. The employer can, we can deliver an employ, we can deliver a program to employers that feels basically cost neutral and everybody wins in this arrangement in that more people are getting full-time job offers prior to separating from military service. Now the VA isn't charging back the individual services unemployment at the, at, at military separation. Service members are finding a job that they love and they're not going to leave within the first 12 months of separation. We're able to build a sustainable business facilitating and implementing veteran hiring initiatives, which are a really challenging and, and intentional thing that companies have to do. And it requires, in many cases, kind of a, a, a different approach to the way that they bring people into their companies. Cool. How have you guys thought about it at SVA? The big challenge for us is figuring out how to involve employers in individual job seekers' journeys. We've thought for some time that it's the responsibility of the employers to take a more active role in sort of preparing and developing and supporting the pipeline, not just post-hire but also as they are transitioning from either school or from another job or industry. So for us, having a very employer-focused mindset where the employer is ultimately the customer, which can be challenging um, in terms of sort of continuing to balance the alignment, but, but ultimately 
is very much in service of the whole ecosystem, including the job seeker, if we can get it right. All of that has made it, made us focus very much on, on, you know, number one, ensuring that we deeply understand what employers' needs are so that we can then ask them to pay for uh, what they're receiving so they can pay for the higher, both the higher and the, the training and development. And then, uh, to continuing post hire, uh, which we do for a, for a full 12 months with each individual that graduates from SV Academy so that we are ensuring continued alignment and tracking uh, of that high-risk performance to the employer's goals. Right. And for that reason, employers continue to hire from us. Like if we had more pipeline, which is our biggest constraint right now, they would continue to hire over and over again. I think there are some interesting, you know, models that are being experimented with. Uh, they, I think, all have, you know, different, there are different advantages and, and disadvantages. For us, what we have found to support our mission is employer is the customer focus on, you know, putting the employer at the center of trying to solve for this problem and then work our way uh, out from there. Yeah. One thing I want to ask you guys both about is big vision for the company. So at scale, achieving the dream, what do SV Academy and shift.org look like at scale? Maybe Mike, we'll start with you. The area where we're thinking most deeply right now is how do we prepare people for the physical act of changing careers? And how does that start to scale with, with software over time? So everybody's personal career change experience is highly unique, highly personalized to, to themselves and, and their unique considerations that they're going through. You know, the majority of people come to us and they're, they get accepted into the shift program and they say, you know, this is no knock on them. But they say, my situation is totally unique. I got the dogs got to move to South Carolina and my wife's moving across the country and I need to be in this location and that. And it's like, that's everybody. We're all like, trying to figure this out and, and everybody has a life to, and, and their own personal challenges that they're working through. It's not like, I think probably an interesting analog is like doing your taxes. Like everybody's tax situation is highly personalized to them. And if you go into a physical H and R block location that, you know, your experience is colored by the competence of the person sitting on the other side of the desk. But um, there have been software platforms that have been able to take that experience, put millions of users through it and personalize it. That's the area where, where we're thinking about most deeply now and starting to develop um, an ecosystem of education providers uh, who plug into the front end of uh, the act of preparing for career change. We look at people have created world-class curriculum in many, many subject areas. We think that for the unique talent network that we serve, we know how to uniquely prepare them to translate their skills, tell their story, and be really effective in their post-military career and even advance faster than they would have otherwise. And we think we're really effective at linking up these, you know, sometimes challenging administratively, logistically burdensome uh, government administration pipes. We think of ourselves a little bit as a future of work company and a little bit of, as a GovTech company. And that they believe very strongly that digital transformation will uh, affect the government someday and that there's going to be uh, greater ease 
by which companies can interact with com- with the government from a digital services perspective. Is there another ar- archetype or customer segment outside of the mil- military that you think is a natural next step or is it just go broad from there? I certainly think that for the way that we design our curriculum, the way we design our programs, the way we love for our fellows to arrive on site together at companies and thrive together in in a cohort model that any other affinity group that really lends itself well to like a talent network of people who are closely connected where you don't necessarily have to go out and build a community because there's a pre-existing community already there that i mean that's the military for sure it's this interconnected you know many many communities coming together into one so we do look at other public servants we do look at people who have done things like teach for america say, peace corps yeah but but even professional athletes you know there there's many folks that have these underlying traits and attributes that are super valuable but incredibly hard to quantify so what can we do to bring those communities together and empower them to change their careers yeah my jump shot has really served me well but it's been hard to <laughs> translate that into venture capital but <laughs> tbd raheem how about you at sp academy you know we were we come from an enterprise software background so it's like a natural sort of unfolding for us to build a large enterprise software platform, you know, thinking about how we can take and develop uh, rigorously vetted uh, human centered skilled pipeline and pipe it into thousands and tens of thousands of employers across the country, across the globe, directly into hiring workflows is like immensely exciting for us. And in a lot of ways, it feels like this is just the very beginning for what Mike and I are doing because this, this restructuring, this sort of evaporation we are seeing in, in, in the workforce, like it is very, very real. Like we can talk about it a bit here in Silicon Valley, but when you go outside, particularly in the communities that, that Mike and I support, you can see that there is, like a great level of fear, um, and, and, and probably, you know, well rooted because jobs are changing very quickly. And in the next 10 years, the stats are like incredible, like the percentage of jobs that will not exist anymore. And so it's up to us, like us around the table, us listening today to figure out how do we prepare this, this workforce for the future of work in a way where we may not fully know what that's going to look like and what the needs will exactly be. Uh, but we can start to lay the foundations as we're doing, as we're talking about from now, so that we can work towards doing that at greater and greater levels of scale. Yeah. So another company that has gotten a lot of attention in the space in addition to yours is Lambda School. I think about them as a SV Academy for for software engineering. Mm-hmm. Is that is that a fair way to think about it? I like that. Yeah. Training plus uh, match, matching. Is the recipe for building a company in the space, are we just going to see Every vertical, you know, customer support, sales, and recruiters. Are we just going to see sort of an unbundling of uh, what do they even call them anymore? Uh, vocational schools <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, into these different companies. Is that a recipe for for building a company in the space, verticalized against a specific function, yeah, and build the SVA for that space? Or? Yeah, I think if any place where there is massive mismatch between supply and demand. And certainly in software engineering, we've talked a lot about that over the last five to seven years. Uh, And in human-centered careers, um, for example, sales and inside sales, 
you see the same um, set of, of mismatch. And then there will be others as well that we may not even be thinking about today. So I know, for example, coming from the SaaS world, that customer success has been a set of roles that continue to grow within organizations where there isn't necessarily a great uh, training ground, a great sourcing ground for folks who can succeed in those positions, uh, although the demand is absolutely there. And so you will see this. And and ultimately, like any space, there will be consolidation and there will be cross-geographical lines and, and skill-based signs and employers and industries, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but it very much feels like we're in the early innings, like if not the first, then the second inning. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I, I think that talent misallocation is very quickly going to become one of the greatest societal challenges of our time. There are a lot of big societal challenges facing us right now, to, to be clear. But like this is just such a big market. And there's so many companies who are going to play a really important role in moving people from one part of the workforce to another that um, I, while I, I do think that it is the model to go really deep in either a vertical or work very closely with the specific affinity group or work very, very closely uh, in and build a mission around a community where, where you can allocating talent properly is going to be a mission that attracts other world-class talent to, to join. And, and so with uh, like, you know, working on a company that's, you know, bo- boil it down to a military recruiting company, you know, for all the challenges facing that, like, you know, is that a big enough market? Like some of the preconceived notions about veterans, one thing that we have going for us is it's it's just an incredible mission that some people resonate really strongly with and they you know like me want to devote the rest of their life to fixing it and so there's going to be many communities and there's going to be many specific challenges um that that attract talent world-class talent to come in and solve them i think i saw a stat from Austin at Lambda School saying, like, look, you know, all the computer science programs combined are going to, you know, plus all the code boot camps are going to make something, I'm going to butcher this, like 80,000, you know, developers mm-hmm. this year. Like there's single companies that are trying to hire that many engineers over the next five years. And so this is such an incredible market, such an incredible mission that helping people discover their true potential is one of the the biggest challenges of all of our time. Yeah. There will be billion dollar companies built in this space without a doubt. And what would they look like besides SP Academy and, uh, <laughs> and shift.org? But yeah, will it be, it starts with specific vertical um, sales or software and then it takes a bunch of other ones or like, do you have to, can you be a billion dollar company just staying within sales or what will companies look like here because you guys have both raised venture money craft attractive world-class talents so you, you've sold the dream yeah well listen if you're just just thinking about sales we we love the work that's happening in the space we think sales is one of the most underserved markets out there we have over indexed in engineering but sales is such a huge market and can can support far far more folks i mean for my, I just think about myself. I'd never uh, had much of an interest in coding. Didn't have some the foundational skills, but I learned how to sell at McDonald's the six weeks I was there. Right, and so a lot of people have that same sort of dis- disposition. So just staying, just sales itself is a massive, massive opportunity. But it's much, much like much broader than that. In part because like Mike and I 
can talk all day long about the the jobs that we are supporting today, but we have no idea in five years, in 10 years, what those jobs are going to be. We do know there are some things that we do know and the importance of automation uh, in, in sort of the, in the performance of the day-to-day activities of these job seekers will only increase. At the same time, you know, humans aren't going away anytime soon from the workforce. Right? That's right. That's so, why I think why you're working on is so important in that these skills, learning to negotiate and influence and work collaboratively, collaboratively with other human beings. Those are the skills that are not going away. Totally. And engineers need them as well, right? So we, we don't often talk about this, but having been, or all of us having been around a lot of engineers kind of working in the tech industry for some time, we all sort of understand the value of, of bringing sort of that tech talent and the human centered talent together in this superhuman package. And the, the leaders, not just of today, but of the future will have a great blend between both, uh, both disciplines. And that's what's going to like, those will be the leaders that will be moving, you know, creating the next multi-billion dollar companies of the future. Yeah. One thing I want to get your opinion on, uh, income share agreements specifically, are they overhyped, underhyped? Are they the future? What do you think about them? Where will they, where will they manifest if, if anywhere? I think the jury's out. I think it, it's very interesting to think about, you know, deferring the, the investment post outcome. I think for myself coming from a background where I never really had any money and to think about the notion of when I have finally put all that effort in and I finally make it and I am making this minimum amount of salary post tax. I have to write a check every single month out for the next 12 to 24 months, whatever the timescale might be on the agreement, will make it a difficult start for me out the gates. And so when I think about my junior self or my co-founder's junior self, it makes less sense. You know, this it is student debt still and it's uh, it's challenging. I think if you can have a much greater expansion of income, if there's acceleration in income potential, I think if you can offload that to the employer, which is what we're trying to do, or some hybrid, I think you will start to see more alignment. But ultimately, we have a one and a half trillion dollars of student debt in the country. It would be unbelievable to get rid of that entirely, right? And how do we do it? That's the open question. It's probably going to require all of the innovation that we're all trying to bring in the market to produce those learnings to create the perfect solution. Totally. Guys, this has been a fantastic episode. Both SV Academy and Shift.org are at the cutting edge of, of this stuff. Any uh, last minute plugs for what people can stay tuned for in the future and, and where people can learn more? I would say our last minute plug is there's this incredible population of talent leaving the military every single year. And I think it would really surprise people just the the massive scale by which people separate from military service every year, a quarter million people. And these are all people that we've invested in as a country. They are moving from one industry that looks very different from the, the next. And their reasons for changing jobs mirror the reasons why anybody else does that. Either their job's going away, they're burnt out on what they're currently doing, and they're proud of what they've done, and they just want to do something else or they want to discover a greater potential career path for themselves. 
there's going to be a whole bunch of innovation in the military recruiting space and, and even at a broader scale, the diversity recruiting space. Thinking back over what's transpired over the last couple of years uh, in parts of the country like New York City and Austin, Texas, Seattle, Silicon Valley, there's this unbelievable openness from employers to rethink the way they bring new types of talent into their companies. And for sure, it's it's motivated by this really hot uh, state of talent in, in building fast-growing companies, but also... They, people were, we're seeing companies say things. We want to build a workforce that's representative of the rich diversity of the customers that we serve. So I think that that message is getting through and it's because of a lot of thought leaders, uh, in many parts of the country, uh, who've been working a long time to, to get it to this point. I think we're getting close. It's exciting times. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. You know, pattern matching to the employers out there. If you're hiring pattern matching, will not just slow down your business, but it will also decrease the resiliency of the org that you're trying to build. So hire people that don't look like you, that don't look like the people you might have on your team today, and then invest in their training and development, like support them. They will ultimately become your top performers and they will be more loyal to you than, than anyone else if you are able to give them that chance. Yeah, that's an awesome note to close on. Guys, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Eric. If you're an early stage entrepreneur, we'd love to hear from you. Please hit us up at villageglobal.vc slash network catalyst. 